want to just say welcome if this is your first time here or you've just been here a few times, welcome. Uh, we hope you'll get connected. Uh, we're moving through the Gospel of Mark, as Dave said, and uh, we're coming to one of, one of those controversial passages in those days. And it's, it's, it's a passage on divorce. And uh, Jesus is asked by the Pharisees, if you read the passage, you'll see, he's asked, well, can a, can a man get a divorce? Can a husband get a divorce? And uh, they're asking this question to try, kind of trap Jesus, and we want to look at that. So uh, one of the things that we're doing right now, and we've kind of done this in the past, is we try to move through a book of the Bible. And we're moving through the book of Mark, and it'd be easy for us to say, yeah, too controversial, let's not deal with it. Because not only was it controversial in Jesus' day, it's controversial today. And so we want to talk about it a little bit. And so, as Dave said, if you turn to Mark chapter 10, uh, we'll, we'll begin. I want to read the first 12 verses, and then we'll talk about it. Let me just say this as you're turning, and you're opening up, uh, whether it's your, your phone or your, the Bible. Um, please understand where this is coming from. This message is coming from uh, a fellow sinner, not from uh, someone who is sinless and casting the first stone. You, you know that passage. So essentially what I'm going to try to do is, and this is what we're trying to do here at Hope Church, is to be honest and hold God's Word in a, a, a way that we treat it honorably and we, we take it seriously. So that's what we're going to try to do uh, this weekend. Uh, what I will say off the beginning, at the beginning is it's not going to answer all the questions you may have, uh, but it will hopefully uh, show us what Jesus uh, was wanting us to get from this passage. So Mark chapter 10, let's look at verse 1. Jesus left that place and went into the region of Judea and across the Jordan. Again, the crowds came, uh, the crowds of people came to him, and as was his custom, he taught them. Some Pharisees came and tested him by asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Uh, what did Moses command you, he replied. They said, well, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. It was because of your hearts, that your hearts were hard, that Moses wrote you this law, Jesus replied. But at the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. When they went into the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this. He answered, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. So on your outline, there's only a few points there. The first one is that Jesus directs us really away from divorce to God's original intent of marriage. And that's what Jesus does. He shifts the, the, he shifts the, the perspective away from, can I get a divorce to? What was God's intent in the beginning? So the Pharisees are constantly looking for ways, and we're going to see this as we go through the gospel, they're constantly looking for ways to trip Jesus up. They, they choose a very controversial issue of the day, and they intend to get Jesus to choose one side or the other, because they know if he chooses one side or the other, he's going to make people angry. And so uh, let's just talk about the times of Jesus. The Old Testament and the New Testament were very patriarchal society uh, times. Women had little or no rights, and they were often at the mercy of, 
of men. Women depended on men in those days for their, uh, their livelihood and for their survival. Now the Mosaic law, if we go back to Exodus and Moses, the Mosaic law said that if a man found something improper with his wife, a divorce could proceed through the writing of a bill of divorce. So God, through Moses' law, granted and regulated divorce. So divorce was allowed in the Old Testament, but it was a kind of a limited thing. So the question was, the question they asked, uh, or the question we need to ask is, so if the Mosaic, because Jesus says, well, what does the Mosaic law say, right? And so the, the question is, uh, if, what does it mean that, uh, that the wife does something improper? So that word is just like loaded, right? So in other words, Moses said a husband could get a divorce from his wife if she did something improper. So the question is, what does improper mean? Uh, and so in Jesus' day, now we're moving to the New Testament, in Jesus' day there were two schools of thought. There were two rabbinic schools of thought on how this was to be interpreted. How do we interpret, uh, what does it mean, something improper? Okay, so the school of Rabbi Hillel taught that uh, it meant anything that displeased the husband. Um, so that means that, that if your husband goes home, if it was in the Old, New Testament or Old Testament, if your husband went home and he was displeased with what you served for dinner, and I know I'm being very, you know, just, just bear with me, that would be a ground for divorce. Even making a bad meal was a ground for divorce. So it's a very liberal view of divorce and remarriage. On the other side, you have the school of Shemani, and they taught that, uh, that divorce was only allowed for gross sexual infidelity. So it's very limited and very, uh, very uh, clear. Now, most of the Pharisees in Jesus' day took the more liberal view. And so the question is, and this is what they're doing with Jesus, they're trying to put him between a rock and a hard place. They're trying to get him to choose one side or the other. And so they're saying, okay, so which side are you on, Jesus? Now, here's what's going to happen. If he sides with the Shem, Shemini school, like John, and this is, the more, uh, this is the more limited view, and that probably was the view that John the Baptist held. That w in, Remember, we read it a while ago, if you read the earlier chapters, John called Herod, to took Herod to task because he married uh, his uh, he, he married uh, Herodias, and John basically said that their, their marriage was adulterous. It was, it was not allowed by God. And so uh, Herodias basically had her daughter bring John, the head of John the Baptist, in. and John was in prison, and he was beheaded for taking that view. And so you may not have noticed this, but the first verse, it tells us where Jesus was geographically. Guess where he was? He was in Herod territory. So if Jesus takes this more conservative view, he immediately is going to uh, give the Pharisees a, a, a reason to go to Herod and say, you have somebody who's teaching the same thing that John the Baptist was teaching. You know what you did with him. Or if he went with a more liberal school, he's got a lot of people that were followers, faithful followers of John the Baptist. Remember when John the Baptist and his ministry began to go and... and and a lot of John's followers, disciples, left him. And what did John say? He must increase, I must decrease. So he would anger. He would, he would, if he chose that side, he, ultimately they would say, wait a minute, wait a minute. 
you know, our, our master, our, the one we followed, our rabbi, John the Baptist, he was beheaded. So they were thought they could put him into a, a bind. Instead of stepping, though, into their trap, Jesus goes back to the original intent of marriage. Now, here's the point, and this is really the point that we need to hear this weekend. So whether you're uh, joining us online, whether you're at the, the Rosha campus, uh, this is what we need to hear. If God created marriage, and he did, he gets to define marriage. Uh, marriage is not just a commitment of two people. It's a fusing together, and that's kind of what Jesus says. It's the fusing together of two lives into one whole one new whole. It's a whole different relationship. God's initial intention for marriage, uh, this new relationship, was to be closer than any other human relationship. In fact, it was supposed to be, the marriage relationship is, is to be closer than even a mother-child, father-son, a, a parent-child relationship. And that's why he says in, in, in Genesis chapter 2, 24, uh, a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. The whole point, what Moses is saying, and this is the new relationship. This is the, the, they, they step back, they step away from their parents and they step into this new relationship. Now let's be clear. God intended marriage to be more than just a ceremony. He designed marriage to be a lifelong commitment between a man and a woman. And he calls those who are joined in marriage to remain faithful to one another. Now, when two people exchange their marriage vows, they're pledging their lives to one another, and they're making their pledge before God. I mean, that's essentially what happens in a marriage ceremony. There's all the pomp and circumstance of a wedding, right? But in the end, the essence of the ceremony is when the two people stand together before their friends, their family members, and before God, and they exchange vows, promises to one another. In my experience, and by the way, this isn't just new. This has been going on for a long time. Many of the marriages that I've officiated, here's what the bride and the groom are more concerned about. They're not thinking about the wedding ceremony other than what's the church going to look like? What are we going to wear? Will we have flowers? What kind of music will we have? They're not thinking about their vows too much, generally. And, and by the way, most of them are thinking about where are we going to have the reception? What food are we going to have there? Who are we going to get to be the DJ? Where are we going to go on our honeymoon? Those are all the more important questions. And, oh, if we have to go through counseling with the pastor to get married there, we'll do it. And maybe that's a good thing. But i got to be honest with you, and this isn't a new thing. This, is a, this has been going on for a long time. The ma majority of people who get married today, Christian or non, give very little thought to the vows of their marriage. Very little thought. They don't take this, the vows seriously that they're making to one another before God. They're making a pledge, a promise to one another before God. And essentially, that's what Jesus says. The problem isn't that you need to find a way to get out of this marriage. You needed to understand what you were getting into. So here's the thing. And this is the second point in your notes. God designed marriage to be a covenant relationship, not a consumer relationship. 
And I thought this was helpful. I came across this a number of years ago. Consumer marriage focuses on my desires, my happiness, my feelings. When, when I'm less than satisfied with my partner, my marriage, whatever, when I'm not happy, then I'm justified to look somewhere else. And the, main, and the reason is because if I'm not happy, after all, doesn't that what God wants? God wants me to be happy. Yeah, I know that sounds right, but it's not right. God, to be honest with you, God isn't interested that you're happy. That's not his major thing. And I know we, we're concerned about our kids. If you're a good parent, there are times where your kids aren't happy, and that's okay. Because they're learning lessons they need to learn. And we don't learn those lessons when we're happy, generally. A covenant marriage, though, is different. It remembers the sacred vow that you made to your partner before God. When things don't go well, you get help. You work through conflict. You find a way to come together. That's what Jesus is doing. So you understand what Jesus is doing here. Jesus is saying you shouldn't be looking for a way to get out of marriage. You should be looking for a way to solidify the marriage you're already in. You should understand that you made some sacred vows before God when you, when you got into that marriage. Now it is interesting to me that right after this teaching on marriage, Jesus begins in the Gospel of Mark to talk about the little children. He says, permit the little children to come unto me. And we don't often think about it when we're going through those difficult times in relationships, especially marriage relationship. But we, we, we essentially don't think of, okay, how is this going to affect the children? Because it does affect the children. It teaches them certain things about relationships. When it doesn't work out, find a way out. And other bad things that they, they pick up. And I think the children hurt more than we know through divorce. So that's the first thing, that Jesus, instead of taking a side, raises up marriage and says, marriage was intended to be this. And maybe we ought to ask the question, is, 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 is our problem today, because we have uh, such a high divorce rate, is that we've forgotten uh, the, the high value that God put on a marriage in the vows that we make when we make a marriage, when we have a marriage. So here's the second thing we want to talk about, that Jesus made one concession for divorce and only because of the hardness of the human heart. So Jesus is essentially agreeing with Moses and the exception to, you know, the, the, the reason that you could get a divorce. Jesus is agreeing with the Old Testament and Moses that God allowed divorce in certain circumstances. Now, Jesus only lists one reason for divorce. In Matthew's account, it's not even in Mark's account, but it's in Matthew's account. You can write this reference down, Matthew chapter 19, verse 3. It's uh, Jesus gives, uh, an, he, he has uh, an ex exception clause. Uh, one of the things that can lead to a, a legal, legitimate divorce is sexual unfaithfulness. It's a possible reason for divorce. Now, by the way, this doesn't mean that because there's been a breach, uh, a fidelity breach in, in a marriage, that it has to end. It just means that it, can, it may be a reason for it to end. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul gives one other, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 12 through 16, 
Paul lists spiritual, uh, spousal desertion. So in other words, the context there is that if you're married to somebody who isn't a follower of Jesus Christ and they decide they don't want to be with you anymore and they decide to divorce you, basically Paul says you're, you're, you're free. So there's, there, there's, the only two, <laughs> there's the only two exception clauses in Scripture. Now, here's what we find in Scripture. Many of the questions that we have in Scripture, Scripture doesn't give us answers for. And this is one of those areas. Because I know some of you are, I know some of you are thinking right now, you're saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. What about physical abuse? What about a wife that is just beating his wife up? Does she have grounds for divorce? Well, the Bible doesn't say. The Bible doesn't talk about. It doesn't list each example of, of what is justifiable. It doesn't just address all the situations and questions about many subjects. Jesus and the New Testament writers don't cover all situations that might justify a divorce. It just doesn't address it. Now, sometimes the betrayal, the cruelty within a marriage can render a can render the very fabric of that marriage beyond repair. And the continuance of that marriage would be a greater evil than divorce. God, through Moses, granted divorce against his ideal design as a merciful adjustment to our sinful conditions. And, and I think that's the point we have to understand. Divorce is not something that God chose as kind of an escape clause to a marriage. As Jesus said, it's only because of the hardness of your heart. And so, probably I don't have the answers for you this weekend of, is this justifiable? Should I stay or whatever? Each, one, each situation has to be dealt with individually. But it's pretty tight. Because Jesus wanted us to understand that marriage was something that was supposed to be sacred. Now, I don't know if that's what's going on with the younger generation, but I know that the statistics are showing us that the young, your kids generally, some of your grandkids, they're waiting longer to get married. They're not getting married. They're living together. And whether that's because they say, well, we're kind of like one, you know, we're not really, there's no legal thing here, or whatever, I don't know. All I will say, though, is that's just a sign of the times that marriage, taking the vows and saying, I give my life to you, I give my life to you, is not something that's being held up in our society today. And it's not being held up in the Christian church today. Because all the statistics show us there's not really much difference between Christian marriages and those who would not, never claim to be Christians. So the third point I want you to see is this, that Jesus shows us that when a marriage or relationship goes bad, we must look into the mirror. I think it's really important for us to catch that because, you know, people come to me and sometimes you say it's 90% this person or 10% this person or 5% or whatever, 50-50 or whatever the, the, everyone has got a part to the blame of a failed relationship. And by the way, we're not just talking about marriage relationships. We're talking about relationships in general. All relationships are challenging, especially marriages, 
And we need to take responsibility for why our marriage and why our relationship is failing. Because we played a role. Somehow we played a role in that. On the other hand, divorce is not the unpardonable sin. That we all fail in some area. And that we're sinners in need of a Savior. And, and this is really important for you to hear. Because it may be that you're here and you have gone through a divorce. And maybe you've heard teaching that says you've committed the unpardonable sin. There's no forgiveness. There is absolutely forgiveness for uh, a failed failure in a relationship and a failure in a marriage, just like there's a failure in other areas of your life and sin in your other areas of your life and in my life, that we can go to God and the good news is that he forgives us. But we shouldn't take that and say, well, I'm going to get out of this and I, I, sh I know I shouldn't and I know I should work on this, but I know God will forgive me. Paul says, should we continue in sin that grace may abound? And he says, no. Don't do that. Here's the point. We need to admit our failure. We need to confess our sins by seeking the forgiveness of Jesus. And we need to move ahead with our lives. And I've talked to a number of people who have gone through a divorce and feel the guilt of it. And there is a point where you have to just say, you know what, God has forgiven you. Now it's time for you to move on. If you have gone through a divorce... Take responsibility for your part of the failure. But don't let, it, uh, don't let your past stop you. Because if you are alive today, you can begin with one step of obedience after another today. You can follow God today. You can give your life to Jesus today. The cross of Jesus brings grace and mercy to repentant sinners. We don't get what we do deserved. The gospel says we don't get what we do deserve. Jesus got it for us on the cross. Well, how do you receive the grace and mercy of his salvation? How do you receive the grace and mercy of his salvation? And I've talked to people who have grown up in religious homes, and they say, well, I always was a Christian. And I try to say, well, that's like saying I always was married. <laughs> You know, you know, think about this. We've all attended weddings. And the question is, what makes the man and the woman married? Because they come down the aisle, they stand before their family and friends and before God, and then they leave, and they're married. And the, and the pastor, or whoever's officiating the wedding, doesn't say, I now... I now make you man and wife. He doesn't say that. Essentially what he says, I now pronounce that you are husband and wife, right? Isn't that what he says? And so uh, what happens in a, in a wedding ceremony? Well, as they share their vows to one another before God, family and friends, they are giving their lives to one another. First, the husband is essentially saying by his vows, I give my life to you. And the wife reciprocates and looks at her husband and says, I give my life to you. And so there's a giving of lives. They're giving their lives to one another. And they leave as a new couple. And they begin a journey together. And they don't know what that journey is going to hold, the challenges, the joys, the, the, the ups and the downs. But what they know is they've begun a journey together. And, you know, you think about it. How long does that 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 moment lasts where they exchange vows. A couple minutes, maybe. 
So I often say to people who say, well, I always was a Christian. I say, no, you may have always believed in God or, you know, you've always had a positive view of God, but you, you, that's like having a positive view of marriage. Because there's only two people that day that get married, that cross that line and become husband and wife, right? Nobody else does, just those two. And so I often say, here's what happened on the cross. Jesus Christ gave up his glory. He took upon himself human nature, and he willingly went to the cross for you. And on the cross, Jesus gave up his life to you. He basically said, I give my life to you. And so, can you imagine being in a wedding ceremony where the, the pastor says to the, the groom, he says, will you take this woman to be your lawfully wedded, you know, in sickness and in health, and, you know, richer for poor, and goes through all those vows, and, uh, and he says, I will, I will, <laughs> right? And then he turns to the, 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 the bride and he says, will you take this man to be your lawfully blooded husband, you know, to have and to hold from this day forward? And, and crickets. Nothing. Can you imagine? That would be an awkward moment. I mean, first, you know, the, the groom sitting there going, yeah, yeah. What? The pastor's going, uh-oh. <laughs> I mean, it'd be an awkward moment, right? Here's what happened on the cross. Jesus says, I give my life to you. And there has to be a moment in your life where you say, Jesus, because you gave your life to me, I give my life to you. And we begin a journey with Jesus that day. And we begin a life with Jesus. We don't know where it's going to lead. We don't know how it's going to go. But we know we're going together. And you become a Christian, a Christ follower at that day. And Jesus had a number of moments where he basically was saying, and we're going to look at one next weekend where he's going to say to the young man who has a lot of riches, and he says, I get, I'm going to give my life to you. Will you give up everything else for me? And it said the young man walked away sad because he was very rich. Jesus did that all the time. He said, come follow me. Have you done that? Have you, have you, Jesus gave his life to you. Have you pledged your life to him? Have you given your life to him? We call that crossing the line. Have you ever crossed the line and given your life to Jesus? If not, what are you waiting for? He's given up everything, willingly gave his life on the cross for you. And he says, I give my life to you. Now he's waiting for you to say, I give my life to you. The moment you do that, you begin a journey with Jesus. Some of you have been married for five years or 10 years or 15 or 20 or 30 or 40 or 50. And you look back on that journey and you go, wow, what a ride that was. It's a crazy ride. I never knew we were going to go down that road. But you went down that road together. And Jesus wants marriages to be those type of relationships and we live and he basically said but i know we live in a sinful world where that doesn't always play out and if you're being abused in a relationship you need to separate 
and you need to be safe. And maybe there's a way to resolve it. Maybe there's not. And that's where it gets a little... But Jesus basically, instead of saying, well, this is, you know, you can get divorced for whatever reason you want, which is basically our culture today, or the more stringent one that says, no, only for marital infidelity. Jesus says, you know what? You're asking the wrong question. The question is, what is God's intent for your relationship to be? And what are you doing to make your marriage to be what it could be? That's what we should be looking at. Let me pray with you. Father, help us because we need help in this area. Marriage is hard. It's difficult. It's challenging. And some uh, people right now who have heard this message kind of know what I've said, and they've heard it before probably, and they're struggling right now. And Father, I pray that you would save the marriages that are in danger right now. I pray that you would provide safety if there's danger in the relationship. I pray that you bring clarity to help and solutions. But I pray, Father, most of all, that our marriages would rise to the level that you desired, for when they do, everyone benefits, and you are glorified. But we are sinners, and we all fail. There's not one person in this room, not one person who's joined us online, not one person at our campuses that hasn't failed. And thank you, Father, that there is forgiveness when we come to you, acknowledge our part, and ask for help, and ask for forgiveness. We praise you and we thank you for that, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.